A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. From his secret hideaway in a South American jungle, Jose Lantigua did something probably no other person on the planet could do. He read his own obituary. I started bawling because we'd only been married for a short time. Jose Lantigua says he died, but he's the dead man talking. He says mad cow disease killed him. Or so he wanted his life insurance company to believe. This is a very unique insurance fraud because in order to accomplish this and be a success, one has to cut their ties and basically be a lone wolf for the rest of their lives and say goodbye to their family and loved ones. And that's a hard thing to do, if not almost impossible. The feds say Jose faked his own death, paying off local Venezuelans to create a paper trail and even conning his wife Daphne into helping him pull off the scam. And how long did this lie go on for? Way too long. A long time. That was the hardest. Having to lie to my kids, my family. But I thought I was protecting them. Protecting them, she was led to think, from a Mexican drug lord with revenge on his mind. You think that's how he manipulated you? Oh, I'm sure. He knew how much family meant to me and how much I loved my children and my grandchildren. And what Daphne did next sounds like a plot out of a hit thriller. We then learn Daphne travels to the Bahamas on a carnival cruise line that leaves out of Jacksonville. It leaves here twice a week. She carried money, she met with Lantigua, and Daphne then returns back on the cruise ship. The Bahamas. How was that part of the plan? He had been telling me that he wanted me to come and see him in the Bahamas. He wanted, he'd missed me, he wanted to see me. He said, you know, just come for a week so we can be together. And at this time, I'm madly in love with him, still not realizing what he had been doing. Even though Daphne insisted she wasn't in on any scam, she immediately filed the claims on Jose's policy after returning to the United States. That's when insurance adjusters smelled a rat. The beneficiaries are saying, pay up. And the insurance company is saying, you haven't proved that your dad is dead. The only proof Jose died, this official-looking Venezuelan death certificate. But suspicious insurance fraud investigators dove into the thick of the jungle in search of the truth. The first red flag that we had was the fact that Mr. Lantigua was an apparently an affluent individual, had actually traveled to Venezuela, a country that was basically in a civil war, to obtain medical treatment. The clues Richard Marquez and his PIs found laid out like breadcrumbs in a fractured fairy tale. Another red flag that we, we noticed immediately was that he had allegedly passed away in a very small town in a remote location approximately two hours away from Caracas, and we thought that was very suspicious. Uh, once we arrived in the town, uh, we found out that he was allegedly staying at a lodge that had not been 
in operation for several years. Of course, Jose had no clue they were hot on the trail of his cold body, his forged death documents decomposing like a fake corpse in the humid Venezuelan heat. He dies in location A, and it's five days later is when he's cremated. A body in five days in the heat in Venezuela would not be a good sight. It would blow and it would smell. So you just heard the unbelievable story of Jose Lantigua and the lengths that he went to to fake his death and to also defraud the insurance companies. One of the insurance investigators who worked on this case is Richard Marquez and Richard joins us now. Hi, Richard. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. You know, Richard, there are so many things that went wrong with Jose's scheme here, but I almost feel the ridiculous cause of death that he chose to have mad cow disease was almost like this giant magnet that said, look at me, investigate me, right? Right. Well, we, in, in, in our industry, we call those uh, red flags. <laughs> we call them red flags in crime also. <laughs> So that to us was a red flag. I, you know, was it that that flagged it for you and that's why it ended up on your desk? Or were there several other things, obviously, that we revealed in, in the case details? On this particular case, I think I'm the one that reviewed the, uh, the uh, file or the claim proofs. And I started noticing things like what you, you just pointed out. Death, you know, the cost of death was unusual. The fact that he was a businessman, a successful businessman li living in Florida, in Jacksonville, and had access to some of the best medical facilities in Florida, why would somebody go to Venezuela that was in the middle of a revolution to go seek medical treatments? So those things initially um, drew some flags and made us look into the uh, situation a little bit closer. So as you're looking at that, OK, you've got a guy claiming, right, dead of mad cow disease, insane to begin with. Right. Well, <laughs> I don't even know if we've had a case of that in the United States, it, frankly. It happens. Yeah. You know, any medical condition can happen. And we have to be very objective how we look at everything. So we initially look, take, you know, we take every every piece of information at its face value and trust that, it, you know, that the people are providing legitimate information. But it's our job to validate that information. So then you're questioning, why would such a wealthy, successful businessman in Florida seek medical treatment in a third world country not known for its medical and research science? Well, in particular, a place like Venezuela, most people were trying to get out of the country instead of going to the country to go seek medical treatment or for any other reason, uh, we knew Mr. Lantigua was not actually from Venezuela. So we just thought that that situation or, or that uh, those events were, were out of the ordinary. So how did you get the green light or what had to happen next in order to investigate and either prove that this is indeed how the man died or disprove it? Well, as uh, we have uh, field investigators throughout the world, that's what we do. Uh, our company conducts international investigations, so we have resources in every part of the world. And that's why a lot of uh, financial service companies come to us 
especially when they have a complex situation in a place like Venezuela. But once we made the analysis, made recommendations on uh, investigating the claim, uh, we got approval to go out and validate the, uh, the documentation and the information. So in this case, your client is the insurance company and your specialty is investigations into insurance fraud. Well, we do all types of uh, uh, investigations, but we do specialize in life insurance investigations. Mm, I bet you see a lot of interesting things come across your desk. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Every day. Every day, someone's trying to scam you. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not us. <laughs> the people with deep pockets. <laughs> right. Okay. So let's get back to Jose. Um, did you or your team? So you assemble a team and you say, something's not right here. We're going to have to go to Venezuela and we're going to have to start piecing this together. Well, as I mentioned, uh, this could have been a more difficult uh, claim to investigate. Fortunately, we had a we had an investigator or a, a representative in Venezuela that initiated the investigation. And with any type of uh, life insurance investigation, our main job is to validate the uh, documentation that's been provided as a proof of death. Initially, on this, in this case, we started trying to validate the uh, documentation that we received and started detecting discrepancies in the process. Okay. Can you elaborate on what those discrepancies were? Well, for example, we went to the civil registry and we found out that the uh, the death certificate was officially certified in the civil registry. But then we started analyzing that the doctor that allegedly certified the death lived or his office was approximately 200 kilometers away from the civil registry from where the person or from where the insured passed away, allegedly passed away. So why so, is that weird? Uh, because typically when you die, they, you know, immediately what happens? You call an ambulance, you get rushed to the nearest hospital or the nearest clinic. You don't call a doctor that's, you know, 200, 200 kilometers away. So that was a discrepancy. What if he was an expert in mad cow disease? Well, it wouldn't matter if he, if he had already passed away, right? <laughs> Very compassionate there, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> but what could he do after he passed away? So correct. Typically, okay. Typically, you call a doctor that can certify the death and provide the documentation uh, to meet the legal requirements. All right. So your first problem on the ground is that the death certificate and the doctor who certified the death were so far apart physically that that was a red flag for you. That was, that was a definite red flag. Then so, we, yeah, then we visited the uh, location where he allegedly passed away. That was supposed to be like a little uh, a hacienda or hotel in a very small town. And we arrived at the place and found out that it was an empty building and nobody had heard of anybody staying there or dying at that location. 
Okay, so at this point, Jose may be thinking that life as an international fugitive is not so bad. He's about to get millions of dollars from the insurance company and will be able to live a life of luxury in Venezuela. The question is, is his luck about to run out? Investigators are told that Lantigua's body was driven 250 miles from where he supposedly died to a crematorium in another town. One more red flag given there were dozens of crematoriums closer. The cremation manager initially told us that he had in fact cremated the body. After a couple days of intervie interviewing him and pointing out some discrepancies, he had no recourse but to tell us the truth that uh, he had, in fact, never received the body. He had never, in fact, cremated the body. That he had swept the floor of some ashes and debris, put it in an urn, and shipped it to the uh, family, to the wife. And then the first tangible clue that Jose Lantigua is, in fact, alive. Remember that death certificate? Investigators discover it was also fraudulent. It's identified somewhat easily by somebody that knows what they're looking for. And that's because they didn't have a notary process. There's a number on the documents and it has to correspond to a notary's book. They go to try to find where the notary's book is. There isn't one. They start doing more interviews and what they're able to establish is he isn't dead. Jose's elaborate plan was about to topple like a house of cards. We can only hit people with one thing, the facts and the facts never lie. The agents tracked down the doctor who signed the bogus death certificate. He threw us out of his office several times, but we kept going back and ultimately told us, hey, listen, okay, so the truth is, I never saw this person, I have never met him before, I never examined him, and the funeral home people, as a favor, asked me to sign the death certificate, but I have never met this person. I have a question right there, Richard. So the location listed as to where Jose died in Venezuela turns out to be a phony location, meaning it's like an empty building and no one's even heard of him. Yeah. OK. And presumably that location, is that anywhere near a primary hospital or research facility? As a matter of fact, this was a very small town and the doctor was in the uh, proximity of the uh, place where he allegedly died. But when we continued pursuing interviews with him, he was trying to avoid us. And finally, we got him to admit that he had certified the death, but had never seen the body or examined, or had, he had even met the, the insured. Wow, so you got the doctor in Venezuela to admit that he never saw the body and he just signed it? Yes. Yes, it, 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 it took several attempts. Uh, naturally, he tried to avoid us multiple times, so it took many, many trips back to his clinic. Uh, but, it, but eventually, we got him to admit that he had certified the, uh, the uh, certificate, but had never met or examined the, uh, the insurance. So he never, okay, so he never saw a dead body? No. How did, did you ever figure out how did Jose find this doctor and what was the connection between these two? You know what? We never did find that out. Um, apparently he did have contacts in Venezuela before he traveled there. 
that helped them set up this uh, this process. Okay, Richard. So now you have a doctor who is admitting that he signed a death certificate fraudulently that the, he never saw a dead body. So mm-hmm. at this point in the investigation, are you fairly certain that Jose is still alive or maybe this is just bad sloppy paperwork? Well, uh, another point is I'm remembering the case. What was at a distance was actually the funeral home where he was allegedly cremated. Uh, from the place from where he allegedly died to where the funeral home was, that's where it was about 200 kilometers away. And therefore, we went to visit the, uh, the, uh, the funeral home or the crematorium and interviewed the manager who initially told us, yes, in fact, I did receive the body. And we cremated the body on, the, on such, such a day. Uh, but couldn't produce the legal documentation needed to transport a body that distance. And ultimately, he told us that, in fact, he had never really received the body and he fabricated the documentation and provided a urn to the wife showing that the body had been cremated with his ashes. He, in fact, told us that what he did is he swept up the floor from all the dust and stuck the, uh, the dust in the, uh, in the urn. But as we, as we talked to him, uh, I mean, it took several, you know, when you conduct an investigation, uh, typically people n- naturally try to stick to their story and you gotta be skilled enough to be able to detect discrepancies and catch people in, in these uh, discrepancies to get them to open up. Eventually he found out that we knew that this was a fraud, but he ultimately, the manager for the, for the funeral home, told us that he was approached by these people and was told, hey, listen, we we're doing this for an American. Nobody's ever gonna check into this. The manager's father was dying from cancer and needed money for treatments. So he decided to go along with this. Did your investigation uncover whether it was Daphne or whether it was Jose who was doing all the negotiating in Venezuela? I do not know firsthand who who actually, I would suspect because Jose spoke the language, uh, you know, came from that region of the world. Uh, He probably had the contacts. I'm sure he's the one that put things in, in motion and she helped facilitate some of the getting the uh, documentation to bring it back to the United States. Wow. So this thing is just unraveling. You have now gotten the doctor who signed the the death certificate to admit, no, it was phony, never saw a body. Now you have the funeral home admitting, no, there never was a body. No, we didn't cremate anyone. So at this point, Richard, do you have Jose and his wife, Daphne, on insurance fraud, or is there more to do in this investigation? Well, uh, the case ultimately, as you probably know, went into litigation. And there were many insurance companies involved and many attorneys involved. So this got prolonged, and they kept insisting that the insurer, Mr. Lentigua, had in fact passed away. So we were under a lot of pressure to prove that he, in fact, or that 
first of all, that we in fact conducted a, a legal investigation that our, that our proofs were to totally uh, official and legitimate. But as you know, in, in a court setting, people can make allegations and say that you invented things or you pressured people to tell you things. That's really amazing that that you are being accused of making up a scheme <laughs> that is fraudulent, that you're pretending that the man is dead <laughs> or alive, right? That you're being accused basically of making up your investigation when really at the end of the day, it's the scheme and the insurance fraud that is, you know, all the made up parts here. That that's that's uh, that's a heck of a lot of irony there. <laughs> Absolutely. That was a very challenging part of the investigation, being accused of things. And basically, you know, uh, at, at one point of uh, at one point of the investigation or at one point of the process, I feel like men. These people have tainted my reputation. It's going to be difficult to get any business and uh, did a lot, a lot of praying. <laughs> At this point, Jose seems to have everyone under control. Daphne buys his story. The insurance companies appear to be buying his story. The question is, for how much longer? Back in the States, Daphne says she was still haunted by the specter of the drug cartel. At this point, do you think that there are people following you? Oh, yeah. I was always so paranoid because he told me, you know, you got to watch out. Every time I'm driving, I'm looking in the mirrors thinking, is somebody following me? Meanwhile, attorneys from both sides were battling it out over the $8 million payout. They filed a motion in federal court here in Jacksonville for a declaratory judgment finding that the insurance companies don't have to pay the insurance because he's not dead. They haven't provided sufficient proof of death. And so at that point in time, we know or have firm evidence really that he's not dead. Now the question is, where is he? So I find this interesting. The people who were fighting you in court litigating this saying, no, 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 Jose is dead. And all this information that they uncovered in Venezuela is fake. Who's paying for those attorneys? And, and so that would be the family that that is fighting you? Yes, sir. Wow. So here's the thing, though. If the family is fighting you on this, and as we now know, the wife was in on it, even though she didn't know the part of the scheme that was really Jose's idea to defraud because he was bankrupt. She didn't know that part. So I'm curious then. She is then realizing in court, you guys figured it out, yet she still has the strength to argue this in a legal court, knowing full well you all now have the goods? Uh, you would have to ask her you know, what, what she was thinking at the time. And it's not necessarily they were fighting us. They were fighting the insurance companies in order to defeat our investigation and get their claim paid. So there was quite a bit of money involved. So naturally, they were making, making their best effort to make their case that uh, our investigation was not legal and there was discrepancies in our investigation in order to get the, the insurance companies to fold and pay the claim. What you ended up finding, did you 
obviously you were hired by one of the insurance companies and Jose had several insurance policies. Was your information then ultimately used by the other insurance companies to basically fight all the claims? Yes, we actually ended up representing all the uh, all the insurance companies. Wow. A lot of pressure. <laughs> that is a lot of pressure. You have to find right here. <laughs> you had to find the man who who everyone declared was dead and you had to find him alive. Did you you know, there are all these other re- reports. There are all these other things that were going on, you know, because he obviously did you ever figure out how he got out of Venezuela? No, no. Uh... Unfortunately, at some point of our investigation, because the uh, plaintiff attorneys made an allegation that our investigation was not that we had done something illegally, uh, most of the insurance companies kind of, you know, <laughs> stood their ground and stopped using us. But I kept kept my eye on the uh, circumstances, and I suspected I had a pretty good suspicion that he had probably fled to uh, to the Bahamas. Which is what happened. Yeah. But unfortunately, at that point, I had no no more. Uh, no more involvement in the investigation. And uh, so. <laughs> I have to keep the information to myself, but I had a very, very good suspicion he was in, in the Bahamas. Did you ever end up sharing your information with the criminal investigators separate of the insurance companies? Well, after he was found alive, yeah, they they obtained our investigative files for the prosecution. And I um, to, the, to the prosecutor. So you were finally vindicated. You were right. The man was alive. Uh, it, yes, we were vindicated. <laughs> Took a lot of heat and... Uh, yeah, at some point, I thought I was going to lose my business because of this case. Wow, because they were coming down so hard on you, claiming that what you found wasn't true when indeed it was. Yes. Yeah, uh, I ended up sending my manager. We did the initial investigation. And then I sent my manager that handles all of Latin America who lives in Colombia. And he's really the true hero behind the story because he went back into Colombia when it was really, I mean, the place was a disaster. Colombia or Venezuela? You I'm just sorry, said- he traveled from Colombia to Venezuela. He lives in, in, in Colombia, but he volunteered to go to Venezuela and validate all the information again, including getting legal certifications from a judge to show that all the uh, documentation we obtained was legitimate and obtained legally. So he spent two weeks in that hellhole, sleeping inside of a car, uh, not having anything to eat for several days. Uh, There were riots in the city, and he would have to park the car outside of the uh, city and sleep there. And he's he's really the, uh, the hero behind the story. That's incredible. So, Richard, basically what you're saying is after your investigators find all of this, this, this fraudulent documentation and you get the people to admit that there was no body, the body was never cremated, you're getting so much heat from the insurance company that yet another investigator has to go in there and like double check the homework. Our, our manager of investigations that works for us 
I didn't pressure him because I knew how dangerous it was, but he volunteered to go back and validate all the, uh, all the information again and took a lot of risk, risked his life to be able to do a fantastic job in obtaining legal documentation that was irrefutable. Here's the part I'm having trouble with. You uncover the fact that no one died, no one was cremated, that the documents were fake, and that at least two of the primary people involved, the physician and the mortuary, admit to to lying, right? Officials there admit to lying. Yet you are the one who is put under pressure and, and, and accused of lying. This is the part I don't get when it's pretty obvious that the man is not dead. Well, I'm afraid that's the uh, that's a process in, in our legal system. You know, if, uh, if you want to win a case, you got to make a case that the information that was provided was not obtained legally or was unofficial and find a way to defeat the case so you, so you can get paid. How confident would you say during the investigation that you believed Jose Lantigua would be found alive? I was not sure, really. I mean, I had my suspicion as to where he was hiding. Unfortunately, we were pulled off the case, so we could not pursue those leads. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did, did not depend on finding him or trying to find him to prove that our investigation was legitimate because we had some great... Uh, statements and witnesses and people that confirmed that everything was fabricated. So our in, our internal investigation or our field investigation, I thought was solid enough to give the clients or the companies solid footing to be able to defend not paying the claim. So that's episode two on this insane case. Richard, thank you so much for giving us all the detail of what was really going on behind the scenes. Well, thank you. Uh, I appreciate you having me on and telling our side of the story. Well, we're not done with you yet (laughs) because there's still part three ahead. Coming up, Jose thinks he's pulled off the white collar crime of the century. And so the hunt was on. He makes a dreadful mistake. And what he does next will shock everyone. I'm your host, Anna Garcia. This is True Crime Daily, the podcast. And remember, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts.